The Bible tells us we're in Jeremiah 2. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and you know the verse. But it says that all Scripture, not, not part of it, not half of it, not 75%, but all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. God breathed. It's the Word of God. It's given by inspiration of God, and it goes on to say in 2 Timothy 3 that it is profitable, it's helpful, it's beneficial. The Word of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God, or you could say that the woman of God, might be perfect, not sinless perfection, but uh, maturity, that you'll be complete, that the man of God may be perfect and truly furnished, equipped, prepared for every good work. So when we're in Jeremiah chapter 2, and some of you are thinking, I don't know what this has to do with me. It has everything to do with you. It has everything to do with me because it's profitable. And as we're seeing the messages that Jeremiah is preaching to Judah, I think sometimes we need to put ourselves in the place of those people there in Judah and say, okay, would this be true of me? Is this true of my heart condition? Is this true of the way I'm acting? Or is this true of the way I'm living? And if so, let's get right with God. If, if it's not so, we ought to be putting up guards every day. And we ought to be putting up some reinforcements every day and saying, Lord, help me not to get backslidden. God, keep me close to you. And Lord, keep me on fire and keep my heart stirred. And God, help me uh, to, to not wander. As the songwriter said, uh, I've wandered far away from God. And I don't want to wander far. But if I ever do, I hope I'll get home and make a beeline for God and get, make a beeline for the Father and get home as quick as I can. We see in Jeremiah 2, we covered last week the first eight verses. I'd like to begin reading with you in verse number 9. It says, Wherefore, Jeremiah 2, 9, I will yet plead with you, saith the Lord, and with your children's children will I plead. For pass over the isles of Chittim, and see, and send unto Kedar, and consider diligently, and see if there be such a thing. Hath a nation changed their gods? which are yet no gods. But my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. Verse 12, Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate, saith the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. Is Israel a servant? Is he a home-born slave? Why is he spoiled? The young lions roared upon him and yelled. They made his land waste. His cities are burned without inhabitant. Also the children of Noph and Tehapanes have broken the crown of thy head. Hast thou not procured this unto thyself? In that, this, in that thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God when he led thee by the way. And now what hast thou to do in the way of Egypt? To drink the waters of Sihor? Or what hast thou to do in the way of Assyria? To drink the waters 
of the river. Notice verse 19. Thine own wickedness shall correct thee, and thy backslidings shall reprove thee. Know therefore and see that it is an evil thing and bitter that thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God, and that my fear is not in thee, saith the Lord God of hosts. Lord, I pray that you'd help us and speak to us as we look at your word this evening. Lord, I pray that we would be helped, and I pray we would be encouraged. I pray we would be challenged. And Lord, if there's, uh, Lord, areas in our hearts or minds or lives, Lord, that maybe we have begun to stray. Lord, I pray we get back on track tonight. Lord, I pray that all of these messages would be helpful and may they be uh, uh, preached with the power of the Holy Spirit. And we know we have the power of the Word of God. And may the Word of God be preached, uh, Lord, in a manner that would be pleasing to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We discussed last Wednesday night in our series, and we were in Jeremiah chapter 2. We gave you a few, just kind of a few main points from the first eight verses. One, we said that we ought to listen to the preaching and the teaching. We ought to listen, and then what do we do after we listen? We respond, right? We obey, we do something about it. Verses 2 and 3, we said, don't ever forget, no matter what you have done, no matter where you have been, God still loves you. There's nothing you can do to change that. You say, but I once knew somebody and they did this and they did this and they did this and you could be going on with your list from now till kingdom come, but it wouldn't matter because God's love does not change. God's love is an everlasting love and I'm glad for that. God loves you. Number three, we said you belong to God. Uh, I belong to God. We are called to be holy and I hope we'll be that. Number four, we said in verses six through eight that we need to be reminded that we need the Lord. Every hour we need Him. Every minute we need Him. I've had days where it wasn't even just every minute, it was every second. You know, I need thee every second. Lord, I need you. And if you think, and if I ever think that we don't need the Lord, that's probably the time that we need Him the most. Because the Bible tells us, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. We need the Lord. Notice with me, if you would, in verse number 9, we'll start there. I see in verse number 9 that although God's people had turned their back on God, notice what it says in verse number 9, Wherefore I will yet plead with you, and with your children's children will I plead. Aren't you glad that God does not give up on us easily? Aren't you glad that God is the God of the second chance and many times the third chance and the fourth and the fifth? And aren't you glad that God has not given up on us yet? You see, I would have given up on us. I would have given up on me, but I'm glad that God does not. Here he is. He's pleading with his people to return to him. Notice verse number 11. It says, Hath a nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods? But my people, my people, God says, have changed their glory for that which does not profit. You know what happens when you forsake God? You know what happens when you, you trade God in for something else? 
you say, I, I don't know, you know, God hadn't met my needs and God hadn't done this and I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust in uh, the almighty dollar. Yeah, good luck with that. You know what happens to money? First of all, if thieves don't break through and steal that money, uh, the psalmist wrote and said that uh, money, it, it, it's like a bird. It takes its wings and it flies away. And is that not true how quickly money can come and go? You know what else is true about money? Is money is going to, if, if you have, if I have a love for money, that money is going to become your master. And that love for money, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, it is the root of all evil. Not money, but the love of money. You say, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to work for the almighty dollar. Well, that's not going to help you. That's not going to be a benefit. You say, I'm going to forsake God because I love my hobby. Well, someday you may not be able to do that hobby. I'm going to forsake God because I love my job. Well, someday you may not have that job. But can I tell you, there's nothing good that comes for the Christian that forsakes God. And God's people, they had forsaken God and they found out, verse number 11, that they changed their glory for that which does not profit. There's no benefit. There is nothing good that comes when we forsake God. Notice verse number 13. God says about his people, they have committed two evils. Now notice the first one it says. God is speaking about his people and he says, they have forsaken what's the next word me God said they have forsaken me and he goes on to say they have forsaken me and I speaking of God he says I am the fountain of living waters now think about this how could we be so foolish that we would forsake the source of all of our blessings you see the God that you and I sometimes contemplate if we're going to serve him or not. We're going to contemplate if we're going to be faithful to him. He's the one that created you. He's the one that made you. He's the one that gave you breath. He's the one that gave me life. He's the one that woke you up this morning. And anything good that you have in your life and anything good I have in my life, there is a source and his name is God. And the children of Judah, they had forsaken God. They forsook the fountain of living waters. That fountain there, it speaks of a source where the water is fresh, where the water is clean, where the water is alive, and where the water never runs out. Can I tell you, there's a source of living water that'll never run dry. Jesus saw that woman at the well. And that woman at the well, uh, she was drawing water and Jesus said, give me something to drink. And she said, I can't believe that you would ask me to give you. She said, I'm a Samaritan, and you're a Jew. And Jesus said, if you knew who it was that was asking you to give you a drink, you would have already asked of me and I would have given you a drink of water and you would never thirst again. Can I tell you, only Jesus can satisfy the thirst that you have in your soul. Can I tell you, money won't do it, fortune won't do it, fame won't do it, pleasure won't do it. It always leaves you empty. It always leaves you disappointed. It always leaves you uh, a wanting more. But only Jesus can satisfy. But God's people, they had forsaken God. They had forsaken the fountain. 
But notice what it says, the second evil there in verse number 13. It says that they had hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now think about this comparison. A cistern was literally, it was a, a water tank or a water reservoir where they would store the rainwater that came. Sometimes it was the rainwater that had drained off of their roofs. Sometimes it was the rainwater that they had just pulled out a jug or pulled out something and, and captured it and then put it in a, a central holding tank, a cistern. Now I got a question for you. Which of those places would you like to drink from? The fountain of living waters or a cistern where the water's been sitting a while and who knows what's been in it? I'll take the fountain. I'll take the living water. I'll take the clean, the pure water any day of the week. But then God goes on to say, and not only were they hewing out cisterns to hold the water, but he said the cisterns that they had, they were broken. They weren't holding water anyway. And boy, does that not sound like our lives when we try to do it on our own? Isn't that just so much like us? Okay, we've got this problem. It's really big. It's really hard. So I'm going to fix it. You know what happens when I try to fix problems? They usually get worse. Can I get an amen? Do you know what I'm talking about? You're like, oh, boy, I don't know what I'm going to do with this problem. Let me see what I can do. And then you're thinking, ooh, that was a mistake. That just blew up in my face. I just stuck my foot in my mouth. I just made things uh, 10 times worse than they were before. And we, we try to fix things. We try to do things on our own. We forsake God. We take matters into our own hands. And we find out that those cisterns, those replacements that we have, they don't work. They don't accomplish anything. Because the Bible says that our labor in our flesh, it's a waste of time. Because Jesus said, without me, ye can do nothing. But Jesus also said that with him, we can do all things. But God's people had forsaken the fountain. Uh, their lives were empty. Their lives were worthless apart from God. Notice verse number 14. It says, is Israel a servant? Is he a home-born slave? Why is he spoiled? And that word uh, spoiled there is literally talking about being destroyed as if an enemy would come and spoil and destroy and take that which was valuable. We find that God's people had become servants when they didn't have to be servants. They had been adopted. They were sons. They were God's children. Kind of like the story of the um, prodigal son. You know that prodigal son, before he left home, he had it made, didn't he? He was living at home. He had all of the, uh, the resources of the father. He had his inheritance that was coming to him. But what did he do? He took that inheritance. He went out and wasted it. He said, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to live my own life. I'm going to do what pleases me. And one day he woke up, didn't he? And he found out he wasn't as free as he thought he was. And he wasn't enjoying life like he thought he would. He woke up and he was in the pig pen. And he was eating with the swine, the actual food that the swine would eat. He was doing that just to fill his belly, just to keep himself alive. And he said, wait a minute. I could go back home. My father's servants have it better than I do. 
Israel, God's people, they had become servants to sin and servants to wickedness. And they had, uh, they had uh, wasted the privilege that they had to be God's children. Exodus 4.22, God said, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. Aren't you glad you're a child of God? If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have been born again into the family of God, and you don't have to be a slave to sin. And I don't have to be in bondage to sin. I'm glad I'm free in Jesus Christ, and I'm glad that I have liberty in Jesus. Not to go and live for the world. I have freedom, and I have liberty to live my life for God. And what a privilege it is to be a child of God. Verse number 15. The young lions roared upon him and yelled, and they made his land waste. His cities are burned without inhabitant. This verse here is literally talking about the young princes or the young rulers of the enemies that had come and had uh, destroyed uh, the cities of Judah and had burned them and had laid them waste. The enemy had come. Boy, we many times... We open ourselves up to the attacks of the enemy when we forsake God. We think we don't need God. We think we got it covered. And then we realize how vulnerable we are without the protection. We talked about it uh, Sunday night. Uh, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. There's protection when you're in the will of God. Verse number 16 also the children of Noph and Tehapanes, those are uh, cities, one of Egypt and one was a border town. It says they have broken the crown of thy head. Uh, that's what sin will do to you. Sin will cost you and uh, sin will leave you destroyed and sin will leave your life empty and wasted. Verse 17, hast thou not procured this unto thyself? That word procure, it literally means to get something or to obtain something. And we find that God's people, they had brought this upon themselves. Have you ever had to tell your children that? Have you ever had to say, I told you, I warned you, you decided to do something contrary to what I told you to do and I'm sorry that you're in the mess you are. I feel badly for you, but you brought it upon yourself. And can I tell you, sometimes children need to deal with the consequences of their actions instead of always having mommy and daddy bailing them out of every situation in life. But the children of Judah, this was nobody else's fault. They couldn't point the finger at anybody else, say, oh, it was their fault. No, look in the mirror. They brought it upon themselves when they forsook God. When he led thee, by the way, verse 18, and now what hast thou to do in the way of Egypt? To drink the waters of Sihor, or what hast thou to do in the way of Assyria to drink the waters of the river? You see, at this time, those were the two powers there in the world. You had uh, Egypt, uh, Egypt and uh, Pharaoh Necho, and you had the, the, the kings of Assyria, and it seemed like Israel was kind of going to them for protection, and they were, they were kind of relying on those two places to protect them. It says they went after them as you'd go after rivers of water. Well, that's what happens when you forsake the fountain. You've got to find your water somewhere else, don't you? 
And they were looking to Egypt and looking to Assyria and they were trying to uh, find protection. And they also found that when they got in those countries and those cultures, they also found there were some false gods. And they took those false gods and began to worship those gods. And part of the reason why they forsook God is because they replaced him. But we see in verse number 18, they went after other nations seeking protection and worshiping their gods. Remember, they had forsaken the fountain of living waters and therefore they had to go to other sources to find satisfaction. Verse number 19, thine own wickedness shall correct thee and thy backslidings shall reprove thee. My wife and I did not come up with this. I don't, I'm not sure exactly who did. I can't remember the first person we heard it from. But years ago, I think it was before we even had children, we were around a, a couple and they were, they were doing something. And they had, a, they had some younger children, toddler age or whatever. And I remember one of, the, one of the kids was doing something and the parents said, don't do that. Well, you know, they did it anyway. And fell and, you know, hit their knee or, or, or bumped their head or whatever. They weren't dying, they weren't bleeding. But one of the parents said, Looks like you just got a Jesus spanking. Now that's pretty good right there, you know. And you know what? Some of us as adults, you know what we get sometimes? We get Jesus spankings. You know what it's called? It's called a built-in punishment that comes with sin, that comes with wickedness, that comes with backsliding. It tells us in verse number 19, thine own wickedness shall correct thee and thy backslidings shall reprove thee. It's not saying God's doing the punishing. It's not saying God's doing the correcting. Sometimes your sin and sometimes my sin acts as a built-in punishment for disobeying God. Notice what it says. Know therefore and see that it is an evil thing and bitter. That word bitter, it means to be discontented, to be heavy, to be angry. You're just, you're not happy. You're frustrated. It's an evil thing and a bitter thing that thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God and that my fear is not in thee, saith the Lord God of hosts. I'll say this and I, 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 please don't come up to me after the service. I, I know somebody like that. Let me tell you who they are. No, please don't name names. But I've known some people over the years, unfortunately, that they fit verse 19. They got away from God. They backslid. They sinned. They did not get right with God. They got locked in. Oh, don't you tell me what to do. Who do you think you are? I don't know why you're always preaching at me. I don't know why you think you're better than everybody else. And by the way, we're not better than anybody else. We're all sinners saved by the grace of God. But sometimes because of people being under conviction from the Holy Spirit, they feel like you're trying to be better than them or whatever, and that's between them and the Lord. I hope we'll always have a spirit that is loving and gracious and kind to those people. But you know, I've known some people over the years, and if you're honest, so have you. We've known some people who are bitter and who are angry and who are discontented and it's all because they got away from God. If they would be honest, we could trace it back 
to a time where they got away from God, they got out of church, they got away from the Bible, they stopped praying, they stopped living for God. And you know what's amazing is when you follow that path, it always leads to the same destination. And it's bitterness, and it's frustration, and it's anger, and it is discontentment. People who forsake God are always always bitter. They're always angry. I'm not saying that that's what they are 24-7, but in their heart, there's bitterness. In their heart, there's anger. You say, well, why is that so? Because when you are a Christian and you forsake Christ, you forsake the Lord, you forsake the Word of God, there will be no joy. I think that's one of the reasons why Paul said in Acts 20, he said, I want to finish my course with joy. Now, Paul said, I want to finish with joy, but let me tell you this. If you don't finish, it's going to be hard to have joy. Uh, for instance, if you've ever been a part of a project or you've ever been a part of a team or maybe you've been a part of a company and somebody along the way, somebody gets mad, somebody quits and somebody gets out of the company or whatever and they're sitting back on the sidelines and then you succeed. And you do well, and the company does well, and the project goes well, or the team wins. Many times, the person sitting on the sidelines, they're not happy. You know why? Because that should have been them. They should have been able to enjoy the victory, and they should have been able to enjoy the blessing, and they should have been able to enjoy the success, but they quit. I'll tell you, may God help us not to quit. May God help us not to quit serving Him and loving Him and pleasing Him because when you quit, when I quit, I'll promise you this, there will be no joy in your life. Joy comes not from forsaking the Lord, but joy comes from being faithful to the Lord. Verse number 20, it says, For of old time I have broken thy yoke and burst thy bands, and thou saidst, I will not transgress. When upon every high hill and under every green tree thou wanderest, playing the harlot. Verse 21, yet I had planted thee a noble vine, holy, a right seed. How then art thou turned into the degenerate plant of a strange vine unto me? We see in verse number 20, God's people had been in bondage many years before in Egypt. And you know what God did? He broke the yoke. He burst the bands. God set them free from the bondage of Egypt. God blessed them. God took care of them. God rescued them. And then verse number 20, here's what they say. They say, we're not going to transgress. We're not going to rebel. We're not going to revolt against God. Not us. I don't know if it was a little bit like Peter. Lord, everybody else might forsake you, but not this guy. I'll never deny you. I don't know how Judah was saying it, but Judah's saying, I'm not going to transgress. We're not going to do that. We're better than that. That's what they said, but notice what their actions were in verse number 20. When upon every high hill, and under every green tree thou wanderest, playing the harlot. You know what God said about his people? He said they were unfaithful, 
They were immoral in their spiritual relationship with God. And they had gone to worship other gods. And they said, we'll never transgress. Well, guess what happened? Every opportunity they had. They were worshiping false gods. And they were burning incense to false gods. It says, on every high hill and under every green tree, thou wanderest playing the harlot. Boy, I tell you, may God help us not to commit spiritual adultery that is being unfaithful to God and going after other gods and worshiping those things which are not God but also may God help us to never be so proud and to never be so arrogant that we would say I'll never do that I'll never quit reading my Bible I'll never quit going to church now uh, some other people may do that but that will never happened to me friend I want to tell you it's happened to better Christians than you and me will ever be and except for the grace of God that could be us and God's people the people of Judah that had come out of Egypt and had seen the salvation of the Lord and seen the miracles they transgressed against God by playing the harlot in their relationship with God verse 21 it says yet I planted thee a noble vine, holy, a right seed. That word noble is of an excellent kind. God said, I planted thee a noble vine and of the right seed. That's a seed of truth. It was genuine. It was not mixed with weeds. It wasn't polluted. God said, I planted you. Uh, go back with me, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 5. We, we may come back to Jeremiah 2. I don't know if we have time. Notice with me Isaiah 5. This is so powerful. God says, I planted you. I made you a noble vine. I, I, I made you a, 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 a right seed. And yet verse number um, 21, it says they became a degenerate plant of a strange vine. That word degenerate, it means fallen or declining. They lost something that they had. They became strange. They became foreign. They went into apostasy and, and they turned their back on God. How did that happen? Notice Isaiah chapter 5, verse number 1. Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it, and he gathered out the stones thereof, and planted it with the choicest vine, and built a tower in the midst of it, and also made a winepress therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. Notice verse 4. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? God is the one who planted the vineyard. His people were the vineyard. And God did everything. He pulled out all the stones. He protected it. He put a, a watchtower in the middle. And he, he cared for that vineyard. And yet God's people turned their back on, on him. They turned their back on God. In verse 4 he says, what else could I do? I got a question for you. What, what else would God have to do for you? What else would God have to do for me for us to love him? You say, well, if you... No, no, hang on. Let's go back 2,000 years and let's start there. 
He sent His Son. God sent His only begotten Son to die on the cross for you and me so we wouldn't have to go to hell. What more could God have done? He did all of that. And yet, verse number 5, And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. And I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. And I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry. I'll say this, God has been so good to us. But all it takes is for God to remove his hand of protection. All it takes is for God to remove his hand of blessing. And as my wife and I will sometimes say to our girls, we'll give you a reason to cry if you need one. But so far, there's no reason for you to be crying. Sometimes aren't we so quick? I say we, but I know sometimes I'm so quick to complain. I'm so quick to focus on the negatives. I'm so quick to focus on the one thing that's not going right when God says, what about the 99 things that are going well? What about all the blessings? What about all the good things? What about everything I've already done for you? I'll say this in closing, and I've, I've already covered, I think, the, the high points there, but as we go through Jeremiah chapter 2, I want to remind us that only Jesus can satisfy. He's the only one. You can look far and near, and you can look high and low, and you can look everywhere you want, but when you get all done with your search, you'll find out that only Jesus can bring satisfaction. Number six, we see that sin always has consequences. We saw it in verse number 19. Thine own wickedness shall correct thee. Sin always has consequences. And then number seven, we'll end here. I want to encourage us all to stay where God has planted us. And I understand that God moves people at times, and I understand all that. But you know, I remember, I remember hearing this years ago when I was in Bible college. And I can say this because we have, in our church, we have wonderful, wonderful deacons. But I remember in Bible college, I remember hearing our pastor, Pastor Treber, say, he said, you know, I've, I've, I've talked to pastors and they're, they're, they're wanting to go to another church because the deacons were giving them trouble or a church member was giving them trouble or, you know, the choir leader was giving them trouble or the sound, or who knows who it was. Somebody was giving them trouble. And so they went to another church Guess what they found at the next church? Those same people. Now, there were different names and different faces. But you see, there's going to be problems anywhere you go. There's going to be problems anywhere I go. But if God has planted us in a place, do you think God can take care of us? I do. You think God can protect us? You think he can supply our needs? Oh, I know he can. And I want to encourage us. We have been planted by God. I'm so glad that God has planted me where I am. I'm glad God has planted my family where we are. I'm glad that God has planted you where he has planted you. And I'll tell you, there's nothing like being in the place where God has put you. 
There's nothing like being under the blessings and there's nothing like being in the center of the will of God. And I hope we'll stay planted. Lord, I thank you for your goodness. I pray that you'd help us to, uh, Lord, count our blessings. May we not be quick to point out all the disappointments and all the negatives, but may we be very quick to give you praise and honor and glory for all the good things and all the blessings and all the many, many times that you load us with benefits every day. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to learn from this passage. May we be helped and may we be challenged. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, please. Our heads are bowed, eyes are closed. and I don't know how God spoke to you tonight. I sure hope he did. I know that the word of God is profitable. I know that it's powerful. Maybe you just need to come and ask God to help you just to stay satisfied. Stay satisfied with Jesus. Only Jesus can satisfy you. Maybe you want to come and pray that God would help you just to stay on the straight and narrow way and keep from wandering. It's so easy to do. We all, every one of us, if we're honest, we will be faced with opportunities and we'll be faced with choices and we'll be faced with decisions this week that would lead us away from God. I'm not talking about major. I hope you wouldn't go out and do something wicked and vile and sinful and all that but you know it's it's the little foxes that spoil the vines it's just the little things can be so gradual but it can get you away from the lord or it can affect your attitude affect your spirit can affect your affect your relationship your bible reading your prayer time your church attendance your your service whatever your joy and then i want to encourage you to stay planted just just stay put where god has you that Sunday school class, that bus route, that junior church, uh, that job, uh, the marriage, the family, uh, the, the, the witness that God has given you. Just, just keep on plugging away. Just stay faithful. And I'll tell you, God will bless